Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bainey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum Podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, specifically as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. This episode, we look at a work by an Appendix N author who has had as much influence on popular culture as Gary Gygax himself, and will help you to serve this offering at your DCC RPG table. I'm Bob, and with me tonight are David. Good evening, Podites. And Jen. Hello, everybody. Tonight's selection is the product of the same mind that brought us such comic characters as The Flash and Hawkman, the man who united the Justice League, who created Batman's utility belt. In addition, the D&D concept of the Lich may stem from this very book, and the author also created a character specifically for the pages of Dragon Magazine and published a total of ten adventures in that series. Our selection for this show is Kothar, Barbarian Swordsman, by Gardner F. Fox. Jen, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? We'll give the back of the book blurb this time. From the world beyond or past time, Kothar comes. From out of the deepest, most violent recesses of mankind's collective memory, Kothar the gigantic barbarian strides, the enchanted sword Frostfire glittering in his mighty hand. Lusty, hot-blooded, masterful, unafraid of things real or unreal, Kothar dominates the misty, bloody world before recorded time. Yet, though Kothar's world existed in another age, perhaps another dimension, it springs vividly to life. Mapped, charted, chronicled, Kothar's fantastic world suddenly becomes real. The sorcerers, dragons, witches, evil potions, unspeakable monsters. And Kothar, an epic hero for any age, overshadows everything. This volume, the first in the series, includes three stories. The Sword of the Sorcerer, The Treasure in the Labyrinth, and The Woman in the Witchwood. I have one bone to pick with both of you, because every time you say Kothar, you need to say, Kothar! <laughs> I am Kothar of the Hill People. Yes. <laughs> Say it with some testosterone. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> so, David, what's your overall impression of this piece? I actually enjoyed this. It was a quick read. It kind of reminded me of a lot of the DCC adventures that I've ran and played through. You know, there's there's something a little different about DC. Well, there's a lot about DCC that's different, but DCC is kind of like a heavy metal version of a lot of the RPGs that are out these days. So Kothar was almost a little representative of that aspect to me. I love the barbarian. Uh, he's very simple in the things that he likes. He loves buxom barmaids, uh, steaming plates of meat, and a full tankard. That's basically all he wanted for in life. So I don't think the stories aren't very complex, but I love the uh, wordplay, and I think Fox definitely has a way with setting the scene of the, the things that he's writing about. Definitely enjoyed the lich that Bob touched upon in the beginning there. 
I think it was really cool. And, and I think you mentioned, or maybe we talked about it, that was possibly one of the first mentions of a lich. Is that true? There's been so much back and forth online about whether or not that was the origin of the lich for Dungeons & Dragons. I talked to Ernie Gygax and asked him that question today. Yeah. And he refused to confirm or deny <laughs> uh, whether or not it was the original lich. So uh, so that didn't help. Uh, <laughs> did, did Ernie say, I choose neither to confirm He's like, or well, deny I can't really uh, confirm that. I'm not really. So, uh, so but it's it certainly, from everything I've read, Gardner Fox was an author that Gary Gygax particularly enjoyed. He did write for Dragon Magazine. He had met with Gary and Ernie, and so he was definitely very influential. And the general consensus is that the Dungeons & Dragons lich does originate with this story. Awesome. Yeah, well, I, I definitely thought that was a cool take on the... or actually cool just to see the lich mentioned, but uh, some of the other creatures were in, in the other three stories. He had a little bit of a different twist on them, which I thought was interesting, but the stories are easy reads for you guys out there if you're just looking for something to get you through a train ride home or some quiet moments when you're not playing a session at a con. These are great stories to throw into the mix. What about, about you, Jen? Jen? Aren't you guys cute? I thought there was some really cool stuff in here. My only negative feedback was the lack of descriptive colors after some of the stuff we've read recently it's like wait it's a flat red or green or purple or gray you're a color snob that's what you're saying well it's like he never progressed (laughs) to the 64 color crown box you know (laughs) damn (laughs) Uh, you've got red lori who is a witch the opposing queen alpha of whose forces Kothar is the last, all of her heraldic devices and troops, and the wizard Kazaziel, all of his forces, his pentagrams, his spell manifestations, all of those were red. Just red. (laughs) I really think it comes from the fact that Gardner Fox was mostly a four-color writer for comics. That's ah, sort good of the point. stuff you wrote. I listen to you say that and I have to take it absolutely literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, because in this case, sometimes it is. Like I said, otherwise, there there's some really cool stuff here. There's the girl trapped by magic trope is used a couple of times, but with different outcomes, which was nice to see. And there were some interesting overtones, like you can't use the treasure that you'll find. And Overall, for the atmosphere, I I liked the fact that the demons or undead creatures were prefaced by kind of a musty smell. Oh, I also learned that most heroes always go left in a maze first. (laughs) (laughs) That should be a note to my Wednesday night players. Taken. And it, it seems to me that while the hero offers mercy and doesn't harm innocents, he's also kind of a martyr in that he does enjoy hedonistic tendencies, but only briefly because he chooses to instead put his faith in a sword and go hungry rather than drop it and walk away with riches. Good point. He's definitely along the lines of a comic book hero. Yeah, that's fair. He kind of looks like He-Man on the cover of the book that we were reading from. Well, yeah, he was described as having a yard shoulder span. A three-foot wide shoulder span. (laughs) I wonder if it was a loincloth. Try and get a suit with those measurements. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What's your color size, sir? A hundred and four. <laughs> How about you, Bob? Well, I think the character overall is a lot of fun. Kothar is obviously meant as kind of an imitation of Robert E. Howard's Conan, but 
being written in a different age, it's a little bit more blunt about the sex and violence. Keeping in mind that this is a guy who's thought to have scripted over 4,000 comics and 15 million words in his career. Wow. The guy was an absolute writing machine. My overall complaint is that the way things get resolved generally isn't filled with any real tension. The prose is great, the settings and the characters make it wholly worth reading, but it didn't really keep me on the edge of my seat. That's fair. I've read a few of Fox's other works, like Escape Across the Cosmos and The Hunter Out of Time, and they all seem to favor pulpish reading with a rapid resolution. Things build up, they come to a head, and then bam, suddenly resolved, and there's not that kind of protracted struggle at the end that I'm generally anticipating. I don't get that payoff. It ends really quickly. Yeah, you get like a two-paragraph epilogue, maybe. Right, and it's consistent. I just finished reading Escape Across the Cosmos, and it's a sci-fi story with this hero that's getting ready to fight this Lovecraftian sci-fi creature, and bam, bam. What would happen? This entire book <laughs> built up to this, and it, it was a page. Um, and so that's kind of consistent in his writing, and I think that also comes from the fact that he was a comic book writer. And so things often get resolved with a little text because there's a lot of imagery involved, and that's just not necessarily there. The stuff is still certainly worth reading. There's a lot of great concepts in there that are ripe to take. I figure a quick conclusion means there's more time at the end of the game for XP to be doled out and stuff like that. <laughs> Find your way back to town. <laughs> well, what kind of things did you, uh, would you like to stat out of this? out of these three stories, Bob? Right off the bat, I think Red Lori offers a lot of interesting possibilities. She's a witch, so in DCC they're in the men and magician section. They don't play by the same rules as other casters do. They've got a lot more flexibility, but they don't normally they don't seem as powerful. Writing up a fully statted witch could be a lot of fun. Also, a Kothar-themed witch class as opposed to the hearth witch class we did earlier. Yeah. Oh. A class that could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with wizards on equal footing could be a lot of fun. I mean, there's a part in this story where the wizard and Red Lori are fighting back and forth, and I couldn't help but think, are they controlling a phlogiston disturbance? And oh. so that gives me some really interesting ideas Ooh. for a witch class. Yeah. The deities Dwalka of the Warhammer and Eldrock of the Seven Hells are certainly worth adding to the DCC pantheons. Fgorkon, the original lich, that is a yeah. must. That is totally a must. He needs to be statted up. Ayur Mungar, the sea serpent, could probably be built using a variation of the dragon rules. Oh, definitely. There's the sword Frostfire, a good magic weapon that actually has a cost associated to it is really yeah. kind of cool. Baron Gofroy and his demon horde. I mean, there's so much goodness in these three stories to draw upon. Just take your pick. What about you, David? Well, you hit on a lot of things that I was thinking about, but some of the things that you didn't touch upon. In one of the stories, there's a minotaur, which I thought was pretty cool. And it's almost like he, the way he described it, I wasn't sure it was a minotaur until he put forth that there were actually horns on the beast. But Didn't he call it something slightly different? Uh, yeah. It was a minocar, I thought. It was go. very oh, that's interesting. Was. Yeah. So with that, the Minotaur, or Minocar, had what seemed like a prehensile tail, which I think was pretty cool, and that follows suit with the Dark One envisioned with the DCC rules for monsters. You know, he wanted us to take the basic monsters that we've been putting in adventures for years and give them some little tweaks and twists, so I thought that was uh, actually kind of cool. And You know, yeah. in a DCC theme, I'll see if I can pronounce this right without dying, Belthamquar, Lord of Demons, would make a good patron right up. Nice. Um, and... I definitely think we could come up with a pretty good barbarian class after reading these three stories. I'm not sure, though. Has that been done? I checked Crawl and Fanzine, but I don't think they've done the barbarian class, have they? I thought someone yeah, had. Yeah, I was thinking I that. But someone I... in the community, maybe? 
Yeah, um, it, it may just be a community uh, write-up. So I thought that it was in the Crawl Magazine, but it's not. So um, well, you could definitely do a barbarian. To be honest, Kothar's pretty simple as far as barbarians go. He decided to not use the sword and instead ripped apart a skeleton. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to what you guys were saying. The He didn't put a whole lot into the scriptus for the combat and things like that. So maybe when he was taking on 12 warriors or you know, multiple warriors at once, he was in some form of rage. Um, I think it's just on how you want to interpret it. That's a but, fair point. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> as for barbarian classes, there's one from Skyland Games on their blog. Oh, for DCC? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. We can link to that. And it looks like there might be another one from Age of Ruins. That sounds right. Because they do an article on deed-based warrior subclasses. Gotcha. Well, there you go. So some folks have already attempted it, but don't let that stop you from doing it, right? Not going to stop us. (laughs) You. Um, It's not going to stop you. I like Red Lori. She seems really hot. And uh, she was a pretty cool character. <laughs> I love the way he described all the women in these stories. So yeah, Red Lori, she seemed like she'd be pretty cool as a patron right up. Oh, as a patron, that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, I think so. Because she kind of reached out to Kothar a lot. So maybe yeah. her powers were, you know, even in the silver cage of imprisonment, yeah. she was still reaching out. If you think about it, there's no reason why a powerful witcher wizard couldn't also be a patron. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, that is already explored in the Lankmar patrons book. Got like Ningobble and Shilba of the Eyeless Face. They're wizards, but they're patrons. So yeah, I think that's a great fit, David. Yeah, there was, uh, the last story was kind of cool in that there was uh, a creature that snuck in on Kothar as he was trying to get, well, I think he was waiting on a barmaid, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, But there was a kind of a mummy-like undead creature yeah, that thing shrouds. was creepy. Yeah, and it snuck in his window with some ink to give Kothar a black crescent moon tattoo, which would have placed him under uh, the control under of Gorf- Gorfroy? Gorfroy, I think, yeah. Gorfroy? The, the Baron, um, for short. <laughs> so the idea of a creature coming in and giving you a tattoo and you don't want it is kind of cool to me. <laughs> um, that would just be cool as a spell, too. That was really neat. Yeah, there's a spider encounter in Treasure of the Labyrinth, which was I was thinking it was going to go like any other typical spider encounter, but the webs that I guess the spider had spun seemed to almost be symbiotic or attached in some way to him because he, yeah. uh, cutting through the webs, he was actually hurting the spider. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I will say his, his monster description was pretty kick-ass. Yeah. What about you, Jen? For statting up, I would definitely do the cloak of Iamungar because it was said to be woven by enchanted mermaids. I'm curious about the protective spells from Afgorkon, the original lich mentioned, because I find it hard to believe that there were no tomb guardians or traps, it was just a hidden place. So there had to be some sort of protective spells there. Yeah, that's fair. Elaine, the lady in black with slanted purple eyes uh, from the third story, she was obviously a witch herself. Oh yeah. All of the wizards involved in these seem to have demons under their control, so I haven't seen a demon summoning spell. I don't know if there's been yeah. one I don't think created there has been. yet. Statting up something for the ink that the mummy creature came in with? Yeah. The goo itself, because it dipped the bandaged hands into water and came out with that black liquid. And that just, yeah, it's icky <laughs> and, it, and impressive all at the same time. I would like to see some more information on the method of punishment used on witches and wizards once they're captured. The quote was, they were suspended between earth and sky, flayed of skin. Oh, yeah. 
That was pretty gruesome. And I'm kind of burning my brain on this one. Is it a spell? Are there magic items involved? How advanced is this kind of suspension and holding and binding? I thought that was pretty cool. I think I could get away with using the monster alphabet to draft up some of the other critters in there, like the dust devils, um, that arachnid-like creature that was in there with the webs. Yeah. He had a scorpion tail and something weird like three white eyes. Red Lori had a familiar who shapeshifts into a leopard. Oh yeah, that's right. It was mentioned that Red Lori's mother was a succubus. <laughs> well, that yeah. sort of goes hand in hand the way uh, <laughs> Fox writes about her. All I'm saying is it explains a lot, but I've not seen an actual succubus statted up. I know that they would be a type of demon, but with all of the variables on the demon charts in the core book, I think that could be kind of fun, like statting a dragon. Yeah. I agree. So how about props? Audio suggestions, Bob? Well, um, audio suggestions. I've got a few of those. I actually had to think about it for a bit, because I thought it'd be a little bit too much of a cop-out to use, like, the soundtrack from Conan and Conan the Destroyer. <laughs> and Kothar isn't Conan, even though they both start with a co-sound. Uh, one's a Sumerian and one's a Cumbrian, so they're definitely very different people. Well, great. Uh, there goes my audio suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> it was written later than Howard's stuff, but it still evokes that sort of 80s sword and sorcery yeah. movie vibe. And if you go online, you go through YouTube, you can find music from movies like Beastmaster, The Sword and the Sorcerer, Hawk the Slayer. I think that kind of 80s dramatic fantasy war music works really well. You know, something like the Excalibur soundtrack is just a little too highbrow for this, but you know, get right in the trenches of, of the 80s movies, and I think you are right there. What about you, David? For some reason, reading these stories, I don't know why, I just kept hearing some of the tracks from the sword in my head. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know why. It's just Let's just pull our sword and go raging and screaming like lunatics. Um, I can remember one of the first battles when I first started running DCC for my home group that we had while we were playing through Terry Olson's Elzaman's Blood Drinking Box, and there's an encounter where it's kind of towards the end, it's a big battle, and I had it queued up. So when we went to roll for initiative, I just hit play and played Cloak of Feathers by the sword, and everybody at the table was like, yeah, you know, it was kind of like, <laughs> let's do this. So, I don't know, I kind of feel like that you need some testosterone for adventures in this type of theme, especially with a barbarian thrown in the mix. So, Doug Kovacs, some of you may or may not have ever heard of this guy. Uh, <laughs> he does some pretty cool art, but he uh, actually started a DCC community just specifically for music, and a lot of folks, including I think all of us, have contributed here and there, and it is just full, a total smorgasbord of choice nuggets that you could throw into a game when you're looking for something a little more on the metal side of things. How about you, Jen, on audio? Insert soundtrack here. <laughs> Anything immersing, you know, crackling fire, stormy weather, hoof mm -hmm. beats on cobblestones, little pub soundtrack or something. Yeah. yeah. Get the background stuff going. Well, he did spend a lot of time in some of the pubs and taverns, so any of that would be great. And like you said, sound effects are always awesome to throw in, so... Yeah, not, not so big on the audio for me this time, because, yeah, any high fantasy movie soundtrack, really. Well, what about props for you, Jen? The first thing that came to mind was ultra-fine webbing, to go along <laughs> with that arachnid. Uh, I liked the fact that he was describing leather jacks of ale. Yeah versus, you know, the normal pewter mug. Could do basic rough cuts of meat, cheese, and bread. I was thinking something like a, 
a shawl or, or even just some fabric that has the metallic threads going through it or a sequin to something or other to be the cloak woven by mermaids. Going back to the viscous black ink for the mummy goo. You're stuck on this black ink, yeah, aren't I, you? You like that black yeah, goo. I, I don't know what it is. It, <laughs> it, it sticks with me. It's, sorry. It's, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like treacle, I guess. You could have hanging cages so you could put your errant casters in a timeout. <laughs> or your errant players. Your words. I like um, that idea. <laughs> I'd really hate to tote that around with me for road crew games, though. The other thing that kind of stuck out in my head was the description of the bandages on those lich and mummy-like creatures. So you could get some stiff white bandages, add a little odeur to them, if you will. <laughs> uh, preferably not pre-worn, but if you really want, you could go for the authentic touch. Yeah, okay. What about you, David? If you don't want to go through the trouble of carving a slab of meat up and throwing some expensive cheese on your table for your players, even though I'm sure they're well worth it, you could actually opt for some scented essential oils. And I did a little searching, and they have beer scented oil as well oh, as wow. bacon. So why not just pop those bottles open while you're in the next tavern encounter and, and give them a good feel for, hey, you know, I, I smell bacon. Okay. So those would be kind of cool. And actually I've tried that a little bit using some essential oils for a Christmas themed adventure. I actually used peppermint, sugar cookie, and a Christmas tree, a pine tree smell. So it was kind of cool to see the oh, faces funny. when I first started opening these little vials behind my screen. But as the scents <laughs> wafted, I think it kind of gave it a little more of a Oh, God, so you didn't even theme. let them know where they were coming from. Also, Goodman Games, Joseph came out with some cool swag. I don't think they're making them anymore, but the temporary tattoos, a lot of folks probably still have those in oh, their yeah. boxes. You know, the, the tattoo, the creature trying to give Kothar the tattoo, it made me think of those. And I've actually used those tattoos while running the Carnival of the Damned. You know, if folks went through an encounter where there was a tattoo artist, and for saving his life, he actually gave each one a, a magical tattoo. Oh, but funny. Outside of game, they had to actually apply these Goodman Games tattoos to <laughs> actually get those abilities. So you could search the web for some really cool uh, temporary henna tattoos or things like that and actually give them some, you know, magical powers to tie in with the game. Other than that, uh,. I tried to dig it up and I couldn't find it. I know that there was a post and it's probably been maybe even a year or more, but where someone was actually coming up with a different way to run mazes. And there, of course, is a, a labyrinth in one of the stories. And he actually had used, I don't know if it was a colored contact paper to... Oh, are you... Do you remember that? And then the scratch off. He used, yeah. he used like dish soap and like poster paint. He made his own scratchers. We will yeah. we will look at that up and and link to it when we post. Yeah, Definitely. good luck finding that. <laughs> That's what inspired the uh, DCC scratchers that were at GaryCon. Oh, okay, well, cool. But yeah, that would be kind of neat to actually put the maze out on the table because it's really hard. When I was trying to come up with, uh, there's a maze, a, a mirror maze in the Carnival of the Damned. Mm -hmm. One of the things I tried really hard to do was just to come up with a way to make it feel like a maze without bogging things down or just being ridiculous. And so uh, I, this came out way after I think I had finished the story up, but I thought it was really cool. And, and it's with what Bob said, I think they painted over some paper with some tempura paint and then scratched it off as they went through the room. Right. Something along those lines, yeah. yeah. So um, that's all I got. I was thinking in uh, the second story, there is a yellow healing powder. Oh, yeah. That the guy tosses onto Kothar, and it dries up the blood, and it turns yeah. brown. Oh, file under something to stat, too. Yeah. True. Certainly be statted. It'd be useful, although healing items should be rare in DCC. 
bleed, bleed, bleed. <laughs> um, but you know, that would be something easy enough. You go to Michael's and buy some some craft sand or something. Although it could be a little messy, so yeah. maybe you know, throw it around at somebody else's house, not yours. <laughs> throw it on the players that could get the kind yeah. of packets. <laughs> and then also, you know, with all of the the treasure chests and things like that at the dollar store, you can buy packs of of little fake gemstones. And you could just have heap upon heaps of these these gems and fake pearls and things like that to really kind of give that visual. You can buy yeah. those inexpensive little old wooden treasure jewelry chests and fill yeah. one of those, and all of a sudden the players have a visual reference for a coffer filled with jewels and coins. Awesome. And at that point, you can offer them the same deal. You can either have all of this treasure... Or you can keep your sword. <laughs> yeah, except you know, in reality, you're saying, okay, so you can have this four dollars worth of crap that I bought at the dollar store, <laughs> or, or a cool magic a, item, or something imaginary written down on your character sheet. Yeah, <laughs> that'll keep you alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about DCC inspirations and reskins? What about you, David? I try to get away from some of the adventures that we seem to hit on a lot. One of the newer adventures that I picked up just recently was wrote by Paul Wolf, which I think is actually pretty cool. It's called Curse of Cragbridge. Have you guys heard of that? I've heard of it. I yeah. haven't Stupid read question, it. right? Of course Wait, you guys well, have heard I, of it. <laughs> I got a copy of it. I have not had a chance to read through it yet. I have, and Paul really did an awesome job with this. You know, we pick little things out of the stories we read and, and relate them to the adventure. So there is kind of a baddie sorceress at the end of the adventure, but there's a lot of cool, creepy stuff in this adventure. Everything from cockroach-related creatures, which normally creeps people out if you give a good description to them. Cockroaches, including disease tables for the roaches. Another thing that I thought was really cool, um, some tokens of the dam. Some of the creatures, when you kill them, they actually drop and turn into these little leave tokens. And they could have some really weird, crazy effects. But I really think this is kind of a cool adventure. And that was my first thought when I uh, was trying to think of something to relate to Kothar. Very cool. Yeah. How about you, Bob? The first thing that kind of hit me was the whole flavor of Kothar's world, that it might be the past, it might be the far future, sort of reminded me of Tales of the Fallen Empire. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was a busy guy. I was checking with James Carpio because <laughs> because the, that feel was there. And Tales of the Fallen Empire, or Tales from the Fallen Empire, has its own little appendix end in the back, and Gardner Fox isn't in there. I had to ask him, and he's like, no, I've never read any Kothar, but now I have to. Um, (laughs) So that really hit me. Uh, You could easily take the Kothar adventures, I think, and drop them into that setting. What about you, Jen? I admit I came up with kind of a laundry list, because everything was just hitting me as I was reading. And I don't know if you guys know, I I tend to have a little notebook next to me as I'm reading so I can scribble down pages. And I think I came up with five and a half pages this time with just (laughs) notes and and similarities and everything. I have to admit, when I see passages like wizards and warlocks of interstellar and intergalactic abysses, I'm always going to think of the 998th Conclave of Wizards (laughs) every time I see this, which I guess is okay because it gives Joe Bittman another nod. We love you, Joe. (laughs) I'm left wondering if Kothar's visions of Red Lorry throughout the stories aren't a result of a curse of some sort, whether Mm. like the second level cleric spell or from Appendix C in the back of the book. That's not really adventure based, but definitely already DCC material. Yeah. At one point, Kothar is thrown into an area of gray space with no discernible floor, and this made me think of a particular encounter in 
the Road Crew Tournament Module, Death by Nexus. I'm so embarrassed, I think I wrote that encounter. <laughs> <laughs> and I also have to say, with the series of prevalent mists and quest items and wicked trials that he had to go through, at one point, during the Labyrinth especially, I felt like I was playing through Carnival of the Damned. I've heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> shameless plug, shameless plug. Uh, on the more obscure front, Ime, apologies to Harley if I got that wrong, she's the quote-unquote mad witch in Doom of the Savage Kings, and at one point she is discussing magic being woven into threads of hair. Oh, so it cool. reminded me of that yeah. last story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where the quest was to find a single strand of hair. You did your homework, Jen. He. There's one in the Tomb of the Ancients, which is one of the supplements to Purple Planet, called Tomb of the Immortal Call. Uh, we'll name drop Terry Olson again for the heck of it here. He explores an extinct dialect of language, and it brought the passage about Frostfire to mind, because the wrath script on the blade can only be read by gods and the dead. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, some of these turns of phrases are actually kind of cool, and just not when he's discussing colors. Okay, I'll give you guys that. We've got the Tainted Forest near Thorum, which actually appears in the Crawl zine, issue number four, and that features both a witch and a succubus demon. Interesting interplay between that whole situation. The merchant in the Treasure in the Labyrinth, the one that hires Kothar to go through the labyrinth in the first place nearly matches the description of the merchant who hires the heroes in Tower of the Black Pearl. Oh, I hated that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Which plays into my follow-up on that perfectly, Bob. His later betrayal fits the personality I gave that guy in my campaign. (laughs) I hate that guy. (laughs) You killed him, it's fine. To be fair, I killed a lot of people. (laughs) I was like Kothar that way. Yeah, what haven't I... Ooh, I haven't killed one of those yet. Yes. We can go with the more obvious links. You know, there's a beast man, so of course you get sailors of the Star Yeah, but that, but that beast man was like 40 feet tall and purple lizardy, and yeah. I mean, wow. But he was actually referred to as a beast man. Beast hyphen man. I was brought to mind of Theater of the Hammed when there were siren calls at one point. And of course there's the treacherous cob traps. Kind of self-explanatory after this conversation so far. Finally, almost definitively, I want to cast Red Lori as the imperishable sorceress. You've got magic portals, demons, those things coming out of the drains. There's a body that's basically mummified, and you even see the title character naked at one point. (laughs) So it's actually just a step further than the book we just read. So I think... She really fits that one. Good points, good points. So what's going to be our featured adventure, guys? Although she really would fit as the lead character in that module, there's one adventure that just fits the overall theme to a T, I think. And that would be The Emerald Enchanter by Joseph Goodman. Oh, Oh, yes. The Dark Horse. Yes. Uh, We've thrown mention of this one around quite a few times, and possibly because there are just so many aspects of it that strike to the core of, yeah, he really was paying attention to the Appendix N, and you can tell. Yeah, it's the quiz-essential Appendix N. Villagers have gone missing, there's clues, superstitions, and omens that point to the brooding citadel. There's just so much 
great stuff to this adventure, and it really fits with Kothar. Well, would you like to give us the blurb? I can give oh. you the full blurb, which starts with, Villagers have gone missing! A mix of <laughs> clues, superstitions, and omens point to the brooding citadel of the Emerald Sorcerer. This silent monolith has sat undisturbed atop a windy ridge for centuries. Legends say that a green-skinned sorcerer dwells there, where he conducts strange experiments and builds enigmatic machinery. His green-skinned constructs patrol the grounds of his citadel, and he is seen only rarely when he ventures out on nefarious errands that end in horrid screams and strange lights coming from his citadel. Now is the time to penetrate his inner sanctum. <laughs> And flat out, this could easily be the first or third story in in this yeah. book. You know, the the unearthly wizard, the alien minions. I mean, this is oh yeah. You could reskin this for Kothar, and no one would ever know. And just from that elevator pitch from the back of the book, there's five or six things that point out to me. I'm like, wait, I just read something about that. So, you know, if we're looking for specific similarities this time around, there are plenty. We've got your Blackstone Wizards Keep complete with enchanted and summoned helpers. You want golems, demons, or creatures from other planes and dimensions? We've got them. <laughs> <laughs> beings that are trapped within to ensure wizarding power, and the remains of beings who've been used for power, they're in here, as are potions, familiars, floor traps, magic items, and portals of teleportation. You'll also find innocents to release, damsels in distress, and we've even got a pentagram for you to make sure you feel comfortable in your surroundings. And a creature with a scorpion tail, which is super specific. <laughs> At the risk of doling out extreme spoilers, because this is a fairly sizable adventure, especially depending on the size of your party, I will just say, beware the hallways here. The Hall of Mosaics contains one of my favorite published critters, and the Hall of Anguish rings a little too close to one of the challenges in the third story for my comfort. Yeah, yeah. Tile is bad, that sometimes walls are bad. One of my favorite illustrations of going through all the of the DCC adventures is by uh, Mullen in this, and it's the Moon Demon, I believe. Oh, yeah. I just think that is such a cool-looking creature, but I, I love some of the actual, maybe or maybe not relating to the, the stories, but in the Emerald Enchanter, I love some of the creatures, including the moon demon and ruby cats. You know, I'm kind of a cat guy, so anytime you can throw a cat into an adventure, uh, thank you, Mr. Goodman. Well, <laughs> and and for me, I subscribe to this, the uh, school of thought that players don't just want to be handed a win. They want to have you beat the living crap out of them until they're yep. broken, bleeding, and near dead, and then win. You and as a, player, <laughs> as a player, I have never felt like my character was so close to death and yet survived. We were really lucky. It is not an easy adventure. It took us a number of sessions and, and quite a few characters bouncing in and out to try and survive it. it. It was definitely luck. I believe there was an artifact left over from a prior adventure coupled with a 20 on your end that pretty much saved you guys. <laughs> well, let, let's let's be blunt. I had a bomb. Uh <laughs> No, you had a stick of dynamite. There's a slight difference. <laughs> and to be fair, I really thought when I was setting that off, we were in big trouble. I was really sure that, you know, as a matter of fact, I turned to the other players at the table and said, when this is done, try and recover my body. Although it may be in pieces, yes. Yeah, it really was kind of that Hail Mary. This is an adventure that really tests you as a player and pushes your creativity as well as the capabilities of your character to the very brink and it it is 
by far one of my favorite DCC adventures, just because it, it was such a knife's edge to walk. Cool. So, kudos to the author on that one, too, because I can't run a good game without something solid to go on. I really think you wouldn't even have to reskin much of this to incorporate the story. The capper on it, for me, is the fact that there is a sequel, which, incidentally, is entitled The Emerald Enchanter Strikes Back. I've got to kill him again? <laughs> Uh, throughout the stories from Fox, the towns Kothar travels through are tracked, and you know they mention they met so-and-so in this town and so-and-so in this other town, and I love the fact that the sequel, which was written by Joe Bittman, includes an entry for the town of Hero from Doom of the Savage Kings. So that's one of the places you can visit and especially if you've already been there, as you know, if they recognize your characters, the NPCs there will help out. A little continuation between adventures. All right, so I think everybody knows now they're going to go out and buy the Emerald Enchanter, if they haven't already, and read some Kothar. Well, you guys ready to do some Road Crew shout-outs? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, these are for some of the folks that are actually reaching out in the community and running some games for everybody. We're going to send out a congrats to Michael Markey. He actually ran his very first Road Crew game at GloryCon. Yes, let's all give a golf clap. Yay! Hey, no, that's awesome. Yep, congratulations, Michael. We want to see more of that. Tim DeShane is running Road Crew Games every Sunday in May at Untapped Games in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Be careful with this guy. I have seen him at cons, and he is a little dangerous. <laughs> a little uh, ruthless, yeah. No sudden movements around him, okay, guys? <laughs> and we've got Bruce Cunnington and Lee Nielsen, two chaps across the pond who are running DCC quite regularly. They're going to be at the UK Games Expo in Birmingham in the UK, June 3rd through 5th. That would be an awesome trip to make. That'll be also the same time... A certain select crew will be at North Texas RPG Con. Uh, there's going to be numerous guests and judges there. Um, and again, it is in Fort Worth, Texas, June 2nd through 5th, featuring such celebrities as Michael <laughs> Curtis, <laughs> Job Bittman, yeah. Doug Kovacs, Mark Bruner, James Mac George, Jason Hobbs, Eric Hoffman, Jim Wampler, Edgar Johnson, and Ryan Moore, and maybe even... A couple of, uh, or two or three of us, I think we're all going, right? Yeah. Confirmed. Yes, we'll all be there. So you guys, you have to be there. There's no excuse. You have to come hang out with us and play some games. So if you guys have anything you want to send us, any events that are coming up, drop us a line at thehub at sanctum.media. If you've got anything that you want us to throw out there for the community. Bob, you want to take us out? We'd love to see what you create based on the works we cover. Submit your creations to us at thehub at sanctum.media. Or find us on the regular social media sites, G+, Facebook. We are not on Ello. (laughs) Keep an eye out for our future topics, and we can include your material in the show companion. David, do you have any final words for our listeners? Uh, nope. Thanks for listening, guys. And like I said, I hope we get to see you at uh, North Texas Con. So, nope. And then final words. Got it. <laughs> yeah, and <then> final <laughs> words. I'm going to be in David's column of, nah, not really, but hey, thanks for listening and all that good stuff. Well then. <laughs> well, folks, we hope we've inspired you, and thanks for listening. Good night. Good night. Good night, guys. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. Join 
join us next time when the red planet and the purple planet collide with Harley Stroh as we discuss Lynn Carter's Down to a Sunless Sea. The Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2016.